Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Because you're right on time. Right on time. Hello and welcome to episode 35 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy and this week we're going to have to do something different because once again, the hot topic in football is that there's no football. This means we'll be discussing all the potential ramifications for a season that may or may not come to a natural conclusion. It also means it's time for more ifs, buts and maybes. I don't know what will happen, nor does Carl, nor does Drew, but we're going to try our very best to make sense of it all. More importantly though, we once again have a full house and that means leading the line this week and we're in the captain's armband is Carl. So Carl, how have you been since we last spoke? Yeah, good, thanks, Dan. You know, the boredom is starting to set in. You know, I think we've watched every film I can try and watch in that. But to be honest, mate, we're all healthy, so can't complain. Yeah, I know what you mean. I've watched so many classic goal clips that nothing sort of makes sense anymore. It's just everything's out of context and you're sort of just watching goals for goal's sake. So I need to sort of part them because, like I say, I think the archives are running very, very thin. However, we've also got your strike partner, Drew. Drew, you're on the other side of the pond. And how are things over there with you? Ah, we're hanging in there. Not too bad. I, uh, as well, have run out of things to watch. I'll admit, Netflix and chill just isn't the same as it used to be. No, there's not enough Netflix to go around, is there? But uh, that's just a different story for another day. So, before we uh, talk all things Newcastle, to be honest, today, I'll do the social media bits first. Otherwise, we'll be talking to the abyss once more. First, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at StanTracy1983. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at RealFootballPod. If you want to join our ever-growing amount of shareholders, all you need to do is follow and join this very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like what you hear, leave us a nice review. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and Acast. Well, the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. Right then, it's time to go live. And as I just said, we're going to go to St. James's Park. And the news that Newcastle are set to change owners. Now, Carl, we touched on this last week. I don't think we really touched on the scale of investment. Because when you look at the potential finances that could be involved, this could be an absolutely massive shot in the arm for the Magpies. Uh, This could be Man City 2.0, but on an even larger scale, couldn't it, Dan? If if it's believed the finances that 
these guys have behind them and, and what they could suddenly throw at that club. Um, and if the numbers are, are, are true, um, then you could be looking at that catapult in Newcastle into the realms that they probably would never have even dreamed of. So if, if this does go through, then I, I think we should get ready because th this could be a club that's about to take off in big, big, big fashion. True. When it comes to Newcastle, they're always referenced as a big club. I think sometimes, though, that's mixed up with big support. Now, I know they had, a, well, they didn't really have any success. They sort of flirted with winning a Premier League title 25, 24 years ago. And they are a one-city club, which means the fan base isn't shared across a couple of clubs. Therefore, they can call a huge army of fans. But is the label of a big club something of a misnomer at the moment? I think it is, because you can't look at Newcastle right now and say... They are legitimately contending for anything. I mean, not even an FA Cup or anything like that. So I think historically, and especially in terms of kind of the beginning of the Premier League, sure, you could say Newcastle are a bigger club. But right now, there is nothing about them that screams big club other than probably the stadium and, and maybe the fan base, like you said. But Steve Bruce, manager, and this is not a slight at him, not a big name manager, not a big club manager. Right. The finances that Mike Ashley, who is possibly out the door soon, but the amount of money that he has spent has always been championship level money, championship level squad. So I think it's really hard to say that they're a big club. Obviously, now with the new ownership, which is, you know, reportedly about to, to sign everything and it's almost done. If they can inject a lot of money, they can bring Newcastle back to that. But right now, I think they purposely went after a club like Newcastle. Because they aren't a big six club. They aren't one of these clubs that's going to cost them billions upon billions to buy out. So right now, I don't think you can call them a big club. But obviously, the goal would be to restore that very, very soon. At the same time, Cole, does that big support act as something of a millstone around the club's neck? Because there's no doubt there's a lot of passion in the North East, especially when Newcastle are involved. Or is it a club that's simply been hamstrung by the penny pinching that Mike Ashley has done in the last decade? Well, I think I've always said to people, Dan, that when you look at Newcastle, I mean, I've always been surprised that there hasn't been this kind of takeover at that club before, because I've always said to people that if someone gets it right at Newcastle, then they're on to a goldmine, because... Up there for them, football is everything, isn't it? You know, that they rather pay for a ticket to go and watch Newcastle than probably a weekly shop. Um, and because of the fact that, obviously, you've only really got Newcastle and Sunderland, there's such a massive area and such a massive support that if someone was to go in, get it right and suddenly make them a success, then I think there's untapped, you know, you know, earnings to be had from that club because those supporters, you know, they're there and they're following that club massively, even in their bad times. So if that's a club that can start winning things, then I think, you know, it just to me seems that someone can make a real killing there. Uh, and maybe this is now the time that these new owners might think, well, look, you know, this is there and, and there's money to be had here because if we turn this club into a success, given the supporter base it's already got and the area and everything like that, it will just go from strength to strength. So I think they're a sleeping giant that if this happens and it comes off and they start suddenly bringing in the sort of players you think that money could allow them to get and suddenly they start becoming a successful football club, then that area will boom. Um, and I think there's some serious money to be made there. So uh, I know, obviously, 
it's not good news for all the rest of us in the Premier League because, you know, if you were suddenly fighting for European places, that could suddenly push you back down one slot. But if you're a Newcastle fan right now, you must have everything crossed um, that this happens because you can only see the success that's probably going to come your way um, and just get excited by it. Yeah, I mean, I've got in my notes about how the battle for Europe could get even more difficult. So expand on that in a little bit. But yes, I mean... Like I say, sleeping giant is probably the perfect term because you look at the size of the club, the stadium, the fan base, the catchment area, everything's in place for it to be awoken. And you look at the kind of money involved, you know, we're looking even at a conservative hundred billion. I think even that's just being like, you know, like I say, at the lowest tier, it could be 200, 250. It's an obscene amount of money when it comes to football. And it makes the likes of Man City absolutely dwarfed in terms of revenue and all that. But... Drew, when you look at Newcastle and the want to be a big club and these new owners, like we say, we don't want to disrespect Steve Bruce because I think he's done a good job this season, but that's not kind of it's not going to be the kind of glitz and glamour manager that they want. So, you know, we've looked at likes of Allegri, even Pochettino been linked. You know, I think we're sort of plucking names out the air at the moment, but you do get the feeling that Steve Bruce is already on borrowed time. Oh yeah, and I think even he himself said in an interview in the past forty-eight hours. He's not sure how much longer he's going to stay at the club. And if I remember correctly, uh, kind of hinted at he could even be sacked before the end of the season. And unfortunately, it's it's kind of a matter of circumstances because I would say this season alone, he's done a fairly good job with Newcastle. I mean, at the beginning of the year, I tipped them for 100% relegation. And as of right now... You know, I, I know everything's on hold, but as of right now, they were pretty solidly mid-table and weren't really worrying about the drop. So I think he's done a pretty good job, and it would be harsh on him. But like any sort of takeover in, in business, not just football, right, whenever you have new ownership or new management, they're going to come in, clear house, and bring in their own guys. And so unfortunately for Steve Bruce, he's probably going to be one of the first casualties um, in this in this takeover and in this overhaul. So for him, I think maybe it's a good thing because he's not going to fit what they want to do in the way that they want to build the club up and probably build it up very quickly. So it's probably a blessing in disguise. I mean, if he's not going to fit, most likely, again, I'm, I'm assuming a bit here, if he's not going to fit their culture, their goals, their strategy, then there's no reason for him to be the manager. Um, and so it would make sense for them to get rid of him and go after someone like Pochettino, like Allegri, um, or, or someone like that, even though I'm not necessarily confident in those guys specifically. But again, moving on to someone who's a bigger name, bigger profile makes sense. I guess, Carl, there's a, uh, a parallel or a similar scenario when Abramovich took over Chelsea. Ranieri was in charge and he was just on borrowed time. He's like a sitting duck, really. I think he had one season... And then it was almost a case of, okay, well, the sexier option was Jose Mourinho, off you go. So you get the feeling something will probably happen at Newcastle along those same lines. Yeah, I was just going to say, Dan, you know, it also reminds me of Man City when, you know, you had Hughes in charge, wasn't it? You know, you kind of got the impression that they they didn't want to be seen as being that harsh. But the view was, listen... Unless you bring the title in in the first season, we're going to use that as the excuse to get rid of you. So you can't see Steve Bruce being the manager who manages to bring a title in. So it would, as, as Drew said, you know, 
they're going to come in and if they're going to look to really suddenly invest some money, turn Newcastle around and make them one of the best clubs in the world, then you need to get a manager in that can also have the pool and get certain players come in to want to play for them. Now, I can't imagine the likes of, say, people like Neymar or someone like that. And, you know, if we're talking about the money that they've got and the players they could get, would, would Neymar come and play for Steve Bruce? You know, <laughs> is that an, is that an <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure he's going to love that. Like that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> come on, mate, come and play for Steve Bruce. You know, who is this guy? There's a picture. His nose is spread across his face, you know. Um, <laughs> they're going to get a glamour name, aren't they, and want to get one of the best managers in the world. So your likes of Allegri, Poch, you know, even someone like Pep, you know, will, will they even be scared off of trying to go for someone like that? Um you you just get the impression, like Ranieri, like Hughes, they might give him a, a, a little while when they first come in just to start changing things around and, and getting in the club and sorting everything out. But I think it'd be pretty quickly before they change manager and try and get in the sort of name that they think will bring them the, the real success that they're after. OK, Drew, so let's assume that you are part of this Saudi investment fund. You've got rid of Steve Bruce. Are you going for a manager making a real statement of intent? Do you reckon you can get one? Or are you going to have to look down the list a little bit, you know, maybe someone who can do the project? Because we look at managers of the ilk we've mentioned, they've never really started so low down in terms of a project, although lots of money would sort of accelerate it a little bit. So what would your appointment strategy be if you were in charge? Well... Money-wise, obviously, they they can attract anyone they want, right? Put put enough money on the table, and they'll get some manager to bite. I don't think that's necessarily the best solution. If I'm Newcastle and I'm in this new ownership group, I would actually go after someone like Nuno Espirito Santo because he has built a team, right? At Wolves over the past few seasons, he has been able to, with over there, not as much money, but pick the right players, get a system going play out that system, build it for the past few seasons, and look what they've done now. They went from championship up to now in the Europa League and challenging for the Champions League. So if Newcastle's looking at a model that works, someone who can build a team, and now you're going to give him overwhelming amounts of money to where he has no restrictions on the players he wants, that is, I think, the direction you have to go in. I think Nuno would be a great shout. I think Chris Wilder is kind of in that same idea, but I don't think they're going to go after someone like him. I I just don't see it as a, as a big enough name. Not not that Nuno Espirito Santo is, is much bigger in terms of, of world prestige, but I think they should go after someone like that. I think they're going to have to build, and they want someone who has done it, which is why Pochettino could be another good example, right? He built at Spurs, me, though, I don't think Pochettino should go there. He doesn't have to prove he has to build a team. He has to prove that he can win trophies. So maybe he can do that at Newcastle, but I don't know if that's the right challenge. Again, I think someone like Nuno, someone who's built a team, that's going to be a great fit for Newcastle. Yeah, I mean, from a Poch point of view, it almost needs someone else to take the job first. Like when City took Mancini, he won a title, and then Guardiola came in you know, after Pellegrini as well. So you can almost envisage Poch being the manager, two or three managers down the line, once if... They get to the promised land, which is the big question, Cole. Obviously, we mentioned the kind of money that could be involved. Will financial fair play get in the way, though? You look at Man City, I think it took five, six seasons for them to get a Premier League title. Can that happen at Newcastle? Can they go from 0 to 100? Or is this going to have to be a more gradual process? 
I guess that's the problem now, isn't it, with with the FFP is that, you know, when people like Abramovich and City come in, you were kind of able just to throw as much money as you wanted to straight away and kind of almost bring in 11 players, if you liked, you know, for no matter how much cost when you wanted to, where now that obviously there are going to be tighter restrictions on what you can spend um, compared to obviously your finances. So as you as we say, it could take them three or four seasons before they become the finished article um, because they won't just be able to go out and be splashing, you know, 70, 80 million on seven, eight, nine players because obviously you'd you'd assume they'll then be looked into and and the finances would need to be there. Um, But as you say, they will be able to suddenly go and put themselves in the market to kind of scupper some real big deals. But, it could take a little bit more time than we saw like when Abramovich went in. It was almost an overnight instant success, wasn't it? Because you could just go and spend money how you wanted to. So, yeah, I don't think we'll see it hit the ground. Like You wouldn't suddenly assume that next season Newcastle will be title contenders or win the title. Um, there'll be a lot of work to do, but you can see it being a project that, after, as you said, after three or four seasons, they'll be ready and they'll be there and they'll be the team that suddenly everyone's saying, yep, I want to join Newcastle, look at what they've got, look at what they're going to achieve. And then it's a, it's a free-for-all, isn't it, after that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we touched on trying to be in that European mix and Drew Wolves are a perfect example of a team that is going through this kind of similar project. They're in, what, season three of what they would consider their life cycle and how it's going. The race for Europe is getting harder already. If Newcastle starts to warm up and follow the same kind of steps, it's going to be absolutely brutal, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, this this year alone, you've seen teams like Wolves, or last year as well, um, but Sheffield United is also in the mix. And then with, you know, kind of the regression of Spurs, Arsenal, Chelsea included in that, Manchester United, right? I think all those places below Man City and Liverpool are up for grabs. And so I think Newcastle... Here, here's the important thing for Newcastle, right, is we can talk about all the money that they're going to have available to spend, but they have to spend it wisely, yeah. right? Uh, you know, a lot of people like to, you know, kind of give crap to Man City or even Liverpool now about all the money they've spent. But if you look at City, their record signing, Rodri, is only, what, 60, 65 million pounds, which isn't really all that much when you think about it in the grand scheme of things. And so for Newcastle, if they can spend wisely, if they do get a, you know, the right manager with a, a philosophy, with an idea of how he wants to build his team, and they're not just simply spending money for the sake of spending money, then absolutely, I think they can make their way into that Europa League argument very, very soon. And dare I say, this is a bit ambitious, and we're looking a few more years out, especially like Carl talked about with financial fair play, is... Could they make it up into the big six or maybe big seven or however teams might fall out of that? I think there is a legitimate possibility that that can happen because like we've talked about with the fan base, with the stadium, I think also another thing you're going to see is a lot more money coming in. I think you're going to see a lot more sponsorship revenue. You're going to see a lot more fan engagement and excitement, which Maybe that's going to lead to more jersey sales and things like that. I think Newcastle is going to have a much bigger footprint, and therefore they're going to bring in a lot more revenue, which is going to help them as well when it comes to financial fair play and spending. So again, assuming all of these things kind of go right, I know it's a lot of ifs, but they can definitely get into that Europa League argument very, very soon, within probably two or three years. 
Carl, when you look at Newcastle's potential investment, it's almost as if the bar has been lifted even higher again. And if another team enters the sort of cabal of big investment, it's almost as if you know that's the new norm. So if you're a team in the lower brackets of the table, the disparity gets even bigger, and then you're really sort of worrying. Does that mean that more teams have to sort of look for a sugar daddy, or will it just be a case of the haves and the have-nots? <laughs> Yeah, I guess obviously, you know, your team's like Bournemouth, aren't you? you? You may be kind of already struggling, especially when you consider limitations on their ground, you know, a 12,000 capacity stadium. And, and suddenly you're sitting there thinking, well, actually, at the moment, we can kind of compete with Newcastle in terms of a footballing ability on the pitch. Um, whereas all of a sudden, this then just blows them out of their, their league. And again, you're suddenly thinking, well, that's another team that pushes closer to the kind of probably a relegation scrap because that was one team we thought we'd be around but now they're gone as well I guess you'll obviously we there's kind of free league tables always on the go isn't there at the moment and I guess that just suddenly increases again to another team and as you say the amount of teams that are suddenly finding some good money we could maybe just have two league tables couldn't we where you've got us top seven or eight um, clubs that you kind of go well they're the clubs that have got the power and the money to kind of challenge and, and challenge for Europe and again the rest are just fighting for survival and, and trying to stay up and three of those clubs will be unfortunate and they'll go down and they'll miss out and maybe that's how we see it you know we've had that top four top five you know top six you know, suddenly then you get the middle section and the lower section. I just see it being two tables in the end where you've got your power and your money in the top eight or nine and then the rest are fighting for themselves and, and trying to pick up the scraps as they can. And, and I don't see that changing. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right because, like you say, in the past, we've always had three tiers in the Premier League, you know, whether it's four, five or six in the top one, seven and seven in the others. You know, you've had sort of quite defined brackets and it's got a little bit more fluid over the last couple of years, you know, with Wolves, with Leicester winning a title. But I think, as you say, you're just going to get a clear divide now. We're going to get a group of about eight teams, maybe nine will be that bigger calibre and the rest will just be fighting from 10th to 20th. We're sort of already seeing it this season where everyone's picking off points of everyone in that bottom half. It's so tight and contracted, but I think that's more the sort of the divide line is being sort of, I guess the landscape is changing in the Premier League in terms of where the natural order is. And I think if Newcastle get that artificial assistance, then you know it changes ever more. But I guess, Drew, the big equaliser in all of this is no one knows what the financial landscape will look like once all the corona has cleared. So, you know, we talk about the big six as a concept being under threat. There's every ch chance now it could be blown right open for good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think the, the kind of coronavirus stoppage and whatnot that you alluded to, that's going to be the biggest factor right here because every club right now is losing a ton of money. And so... I think this kind of is uh, an equalizer for some of those clubs at the bottom. I, obviously, they're losing money, and each pound that they lose affects them more than Liverpool or City or, or anyone else at the top. Um, but I think those clubs at the top, they aren't necessarily going to be able to spend the hundreds of millions and things for a season or two. And so when you see this coming in from Newcastle and new ownership who obviously are going to try and invigorate the club as quickly as possible i think this does give them you know it, it, like it does give them an advantage i think in the upcoming transfer windows it is going to be hard to lure someone away like you know we joked about earlier with neymar uh i i don't see neymar messi and ronaldo all going to newcastle next season i just don't see that happening i don't know about other people 
Um, but I do think they are going to have an advantage, especially if they do get a top manager. So I, this coronavirus stoppage, the money that teams are losing right now, I think it is going to level the playing field a bit. And we are going to see kind of bigger groups, right? Eight or nine or 10 teams, kind of like you guys said, fighting for the top four or I guess possibly top seven. Uh, to, to get into the Europa League, I think this does have a chance to kind of equalize things a lot throughout uh, the Premier League. Okay, let's talk about their potential owners because, Carl, I guess there's a certain irony that, from a UK point of view, that fans vilify Mike Ashley. There's no doubt about that. But now they're going to state ownership and a state which, let's say, to be kind, has an indifferent <laughs> record when it comes to human rights. So, fundamentally, will Newcastle fans care or will they just want to see results on the pitch? I think this this is the golden question, isn't it, Dan? And and obviously, you know, this is an argument we've had as Spurs fans, isn't it, with other people. There are certain fans who obviously want to see something done the right way, isn't there? There's fans with, you know, ideas that, no, we want it to be done the right way. We don't want to buy a success. Um, you know, I want to see us bringing through youth players and, and then we can say we've really earned it. And then there are the ones that just say, listen, I don't really care how we get there or what is done or what the ramifications are. The bottom line is, if I'm seeing someone come in, take over my club, bring in the best players there is to bring in, and suddenly we're lifting titles and European Cups and FA Cup, League Cups, whatever it be, um, I think there's a certain element of fans that kind of go, I don't really care what's going on or how these people do their business as long as Newcastle is a success on the pitch. And if they are a success on the pitch, we've turned a blind eye to everything else. Um, so I think there'll probably be that same divide. There'll be some that kind of think, oh, yeah, I don't really want to be labelled a club that's just buying their success. But then ultimately, there'll be others that go, I don't really care. Um, I just want to see us win something. And when you consider how long that club has been since they've had any real success, I think you probably find most Newcastle supporters would say, I don't really care what it comes with at the moment. I just want to see a title or some trophies brought in. And if we have to do it, if you like, kind of a dirty way, then so be it. I mean, Drew, I think it was Miguel Delaney over the weekend said that Newcastle fans should take this opportunity to actually call out the Saudis and their track record in terms of human rights. Now, when you think about it, should fans be in a position to be such noble bastions or is this going far beyond their remit? You know, I, I'm with Carl. I don't think many fans will care whatsoever. Me personally, I never try and argue on moral grounds because everyone's morals are different. And I don't think I should have I – sh I don't think someone else's decision and viewpoint should be based on my morals. And if they don't agree with my morals, then they're wrong or they're evil or anything like that. So I would never argue – Against, I guess, this this takeover or in favor of it, which whichever one uh, uh, you like, I would never use morals as a way to do it. And so and, and yes, I know Miguel Delaney and this isn't to, to pick on him at, at all. But, you know, a lot of times he does write about, you know, I think he calls it um, what is it? Sports washing and, and yes. yeah, sports washing and kind of the moral argument against, you know, states taking over clubs. I'm in agreement that I don't think governments should be running clubs in the same way right i'm an american i would not want the u.s government running chelsea or running you know the new york red bulls like whoever you want i wouldn't want that either um but i'm not going to argue on moral grounds or anything like that so if if writers or, or anyone else wants to that's fine i don't think that's the right argument and for newcastle fans 
I don't think any of them are going to care. Like Carl mentioned, it's been a long time since they've had any type of you know relative success. And so I think most fans are going to forget about the, uh, as you called it, Dan, the indifferent uh, human rights records and all of those things. And plus me personally, I'll admit, I can't keep up with every single country around the world and everything that their government does. So I'm sure there's lots of good things. I'm sure there's lots of bad things in every country. So I'm not going to use that as my basis for them taking over Newcastle. I'm sure that Miguel Delaney and others are right. They probably know more about it than me, but I'm never going to use that as an argument. If this Newcastle takeover does go through, I wouldn't be surprised if this is kind of a bit of political theater. But, you know, everything is political theater in, in one sense or another. I'll stay with you, Drew. And you mentioned sports washing because that was going to be my next question. So we've seen recently that Saudi Arabia have held Anthony Joshua's latest boxing fight. Vince McMahon's wrestling circus has been there for a ton of money over the past year or so. All to increase the Saudis' profile, you know, be a bit softer and all that. All good PR. So is Newcastle's purchase just an extension of that current project? I would assume it is. Again, I just I don't know enough about these things, but... From what I've read and from what I do know, I'm going to take a shot in the dark and say, yes, that's a part of it. But, you know, a lot of countries have done this, right? Take Qatar yep. with, you know, the World Cup and the sponsorships that they have. Take in, in China with the Club World Cup and, you know, the Olympics. that They're hosting the Winter Olympics for, well, if it still goes on, 2022, right? They hosted summer 2008. So a lot of countries try and do this. Um, I mean, even if you want to go back to, you know, America, it wasn't through sports, but – well, I, I want to say that the World's Fair was in Chicago in, you know, 1900, and this this wasn't long after the U.S. Civil War and all these things. So, I mean, I think every country does this. And, and so, you know, trying to get on the high horse right now of, oh, this one is bad, this one's okay, that to me, I don't know where to draw the line of what's acceptable and what's not. Um, so, again, I would not be surprised if sports are used as a vehicle to try and improve the image of of Saudi Arabia. I mean, take Arsenal and their their sleeve sponsor is is you know the Visit Rwanda <laughs> tourism agency. Yeah, I don't know about you guys. I don't know anything positive about Rwanda. The only two things I know <laughs> is they sponsor Arsenal and there was a movie about them. That's the only thing I know. Um, and so again, I think a lot of countries do this, and to try and single out Saudi Arabia, no matter how egregious you think you know their history and, and human rights record is. I think it's wrong to single them out. If you're going to call out everyone, call out everyone and be specific and knowledgeable on every single issue. Don't just pick and choose the ones that you happen to care about. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think also when states get involved with purchasing football clubs, you know that also opens up so many more debates and questions, which you don't really have time for. But it's almost that kind of the overriding question is: Should a state be buying a club somewhere else? You know, that's one we could toss about all day. But, Carl, if we look at it from a Tottenham point of view, because it wouldn't be a pod about getting some Tottenham discussion in there somewhere. So, <laughs> um, it's been quite quiet, actually, this week. But from a Tottenham point of view, let's say there is a day when Enix sell up. Is there a company or an entity that took over that would make you think, nah, that's enough for me? Or does, like you said earlier, that increased chance of glory think, yeah, I'm all in, let's go? 
I think that's the problem, isn't it, Dan? I think, as we say, as fans, I think your main priority is just the club on the pitch, isn't it? You know, most fans don't really care what's going on behind the scenes in terms of, you know, where the money's coming from, how it's being done, you know, are people being affected by the people that own your football club? The reality is most of us just care about, listen, does my team win each week? And I want to see us at the end of, you know, May or August when the season, you know, starts. I want to know we're in with a shout of winning trophies. Um, and if we're doing that, I don't really care what's happening elsewhere. And I'm happy to turn a blind eye. I think if you, again, if you ask most Spurs fans right now, listen, next week you get brought by some, uh, some Saudis and they're going to pump in, you know, all this money and you'll be buying players left, right and centre and you'll be winning things. I think, if, you know, if you asked a poll of 100 Spurs fans, I'd be pretty surprised if the answer of people who say yes isn't in the high 90s. There'll be a few that just go, no, it doesn't sit right with me. I don't want to be seen as that sort of club. I just think the majority go with, if I'm seeing titles, trophies and the best players in the world, I'm all for it. And as you say, let's go, show me the money. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to think my moral compass is quite well aligned, but if some Saudi benefactor is knocking on the door with 200 billion in his pocket, like I say, like <laughs> you could start doing some <laughs> awful things at half time and I wouldn't really care too much. When you consider that as well, when you consider the season ticket money that people are paying now, like obviously, you know, as Spurs fans, some of us are paying £2,000 a season for a ticket. Now, if you're going to pay that money, you want to see some success, don't you? You know, I don't suddenly want to be sitting there going, yeah, but we're doing this the right way and we'll actually never get there the right way. <laughs> you know, actually, I'm paying £2,000. Right you can bring people on at half-time and flog them as long as we see a title at the end of the day, you know. But <laughs> it's to that sort of extreme, isn't it? Yes, exactly. But um, if we stay with Spurs very quickly... Let's say, or let's assume that this deal is going to go through for Newcastle. That's one less super benefactor that we can be tempted by. So does it make you think that we're never going to see that kind of ilk or that kind of person knocking on Enix's door and getting a sale done? Yeah, I would have to say, wouldn't you, again, you know, you'll be sitting here saying, oh, dear me, another team now that are going to come into the mix and possibly stump us with our chase for Champions League football and the fact that we need that to kind of really be competing. Um, we know, I don't think that our ownership, current ownership, they're going to change in their, their working way. It's worked for them. So why are they going to change that? You know, they've got a philosophy and the way they're going to do things and their view is we want to buy it buy cheaply and with potential and sell on. Um, so you do kind of worry where that might leave us in terms of, you know, competing with another side that are going to do it. Um, and as you say, that's one less buyer that goes out the door, isn't it? You'd like to think we're an attractive proposition, um, but I just think Enoch are going to sit tight for a little while because that stadium's a money earner. And I think they're going to earn their money first before they look to move on. And by that time, you know, those, those owners with that sort of money may have, may have already brought in and got their clubs up and running and we'll just miss the boat. Well, this is it. You don't want the best shiny stadium if all the clubs are being bought out and they've overtaken you, but that's a different topic for another day. So let's focus on the what-ifs again. There's a few more. I know we've sort of spoken about this in the last couple of episodes, but it keeps twisting and turning. So, Drew, the Premier League have now said June 8th is their best-case scenario for a restart. Does that still feel like wishful thinking, even if you consider matches that could or might be played behind closed doors? I think it's wishful thinking for the Premier League, but 
I don't think it's as far-fetched as, as people imagine in that the Bundesliga, all the clubs are back training, and there's the league has approved them starting again. I, I don't remember if it was like May 8th or 9th or June 8th or 9th, but, it, but it's not too long away. Um, and they're just waiting on approval from the government. So I think some leagues are fairly close to coming back. However, with the Premier League, it doesn't quite seem there uh, that close yet. But, I mean, obviously for me, and, I, and I, I'm guessing you guys are on, on the same train of thought as I am, I'm hoping it's sooner rather than later. Um, and especially with UEFA still trying to get the Champions League and Europa Leagues finished, I think each league is really trying to get everything back, especially because right now they're kind of getting to that point of no return, right? regardless of contracts on June 30th and, and all of that stuff. But I think they're getting to the point where they say, guys, you know, we really got to figure this out now. Regardless of what the decision is, we need to make a decision now, very soon, and move on and live with it. And I'm, I'm hoping that's going to include everything coming back sooner rather than later. Carl, it seems as if UEFA, they have this sort of hard border of June 30th. It seems to be flexibility now, and the belief is August. Now, they've almost tried to sort of earmark the Champions League for the August 29th as the final. So there's a couple of questions here. It's, you know, does that push back, then give the Premier League more of a chance to get their own house in order? And also, you know, the Champions League, August 29th, that's all very well with the final. But how do we get to that point if people aren't allowed to move around the continent? It's still a bit of a mess at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, as we raised the point last week, didn't we, that, you know, it's all well and good saying you want to get that back up and running, but a player's really going to want to travel um, to these places, given the fact that they'll have families and that, that they'll be thinking of um, when they get to these countries, they'll need to go into some form of quarantine. Um, so, you know, how early do they have to get there for a Wednesday? game you know to be able to play that um i think then you've got to take into the consideration as well can't you that even if you started football behind closed doors we've already seen that you know people will turn up won't they fans will turn up and just stand outside these stadiums um so is it even safe from that point of view because would you be able to trust that people don't turn up to the venue and just even if they can only be outside just do that to kind of show some support um I actually, I, I just don't see anything kicking off again right now. Um, I, I think we'll get to these dates and, you know, these lockdowns will still be in place. And we'll just have to get to a point where we call it, sorry, yet yeah, this is going to have to be voided. Because I kind of think while you've got the number of people dying across the world that there are, football just seems a real non-entity um, in the grand scheme of things. And I think the process behind getting these things up and running again, it, there's just too much involved. And I think, you know, logically you should just say, listen, let's just call this all off and let's wait for everything to settle. And then we go again for the next season. And, you know, when we're not putting people and, and lives at risk. Yeah, I mean, even if you started next season in August as planned, like I can't see at the moment a game being played in front of an attendant. So then you have to go back to the point of, well, you know, if you consider there's 46 professional matches taking place in England every week, the amount of people, non-playing staff that need to be involved, medical staff, police as well, you just think all that extra stress and strain on services also, you think, well, in the sort of rank of importance, it's not really that high, is it? And also, Drew, when you consider the European Championships, which has been moved back to 2021, they haven't actually confirmed the dates yet of when matches should be played, which... 
I know it's 14 months away, but it does make you think there's still a massive question mark hanging over that. Take, for example, social distancing. You know, it's the buzzword that everyone says right now, rightly so. But, you know, what about the fact that you couldn't have 50, 60,000 people in a stadium? Would you want to go to a game? Would you have to have smaller attendances? Could you even see that tournament scrapped altogether? Because if there's no like vaccine or anything, how can you really legislate so much movement, transit movement around the continent with what, 12, 13 venues in one month? It sounds absolutely bizarre. Yeah, I don't, I can't imagine UEFA is going to stick with the plan of, of playing it throughout a dozen countries. I think it's hard to imagine they're going to do that. Instead, they're going to have to keep everyone within one country because they'll probably still have to go through, you know, the two week quarantine and everything before they're even allowed to, you know, exit the airport or a hotel. So uh, there's going to be a lot of logistical issues with this in terms of, of, you know, the euros. I think we will get to a point where it's going to be held normally. Again, maybe not in in the 12 countries or whatever, but I think you're going to have fairly large stadiums. I think by next year in, you know, 13, 14 months, there's going to be vaccines or, you know, just greater understanding about the coronavirus and whether it's, you know, dangerous or not to be to be around people. And so I I think in a year or so, we're going to have a lot more information. I think we'll be a lot closer to normal. And I do think if there are not crowds present for the Euros, I'm, it's hard for me to go out on a limb now and say that UEFA is going to cancel them. But it is kind of their their showpiece tournament. It's how they make most of their money for the other than the, the Champions League, you know, for a four year period. And so I think it's going to be really hard for them to play the tournament, but really miss out on a significant amount of revenue in terms of attendance. So I think. I think they're they're trying to hold off with as many details as possible, such as the dates and where and when, so that they can make that decision when they have more information and they have a better understanding of what they're really dealing with. Because right now, I, I think there's plenty of stadiums in whichever country they choose, whether it's you know England, Spain, whatever, where they could have the tournament. They, they could plan it within a month. They have enough stadiums. They have enough people there and everything to, to get it uh, – to, to take place and to go off without a hitch. So I think that's why they're waiting to, to announce as many details as they can. Yeah, I mean, everything's just sort of in limbo, really. I mean, I think, like you say, you could host a tournament in England with absolute ease, obviously health concerns aside, but the infrastructure's there, not a problem. But, you know, you're, I mean, I got an email from UEFA the other day to say that you can get a refund on your ticket or it's still active if you want to go, but that's like as much as they're ready to confirm because I guess they don't know. And it's like you can't really sort of say... Right, it's definitely happening June 11th and it gets postponed again. So it could be just flip of a coin stuff, really, like 50-50 in terms of whether that tournament goes ahead. But, of course, the more we go further down the line, the more we'll know and I guess the greater chance of it will take place. But, Carl, when we look at English football, it seems to be a bit of a civil war at the moment. You look further down the ladder, of course, it's not all about the Premier League. So you've got League 2 clubs. You haven't really got the appetite to get going again, especially the mid-table teams because they're sort of thinking, well, nine, ten dead rubbers. I've got to pay players, just get things wrapped up. Or championship clubs, when you look at the promised land and try to get there, they want to get going. So I guess there's a bit of an issue when you consider there's 71 clubs and everyone's going to be looking to sort of self-preserve, sorry, self-preserve their own interests. 
Yeah, that that that's part of the problem, isn't it? You know, those clubs that are fighting relegation but still within a points distance of survival, they all want the the season to start off again because they'll think they can get out of it and save themselves for next season. Those that are in promotion want the the finances that come with moving up the level. Um, but as you say, there's lots of clubs now sitting there going, our season's over. We're kind of on the beach, so we we just actually now. Why not? Yeah, we, we are, we're quite happy for it to be scrapped and, and we just look to go again next season. Um, again, I, I just I can't see things at the moment with the way they are starting um, and, and getting concluded when you consider that you've got the following season to kind of plan for and get going again. You know, I can see us reaching a point. I, I think we are in this denial phase at the moment yeah. where everyone is just trying to sit there and go, no, we'll get it done. We'll try and get this done. And I think actually it, it, that's kind of, you know, they are just trying to put off the inevitable and go, well, actually the way things are looking and when you look at the government has set out that they want, you know, certain criteria met before they'll even start considering removing lockdowns and, uh, you know, and certain things coming back into play. I cannot see us getting anywhere near being able to put all this, as you say, when you think of everything that's got to happen, even to play behind closed doors, as you say, the, the, the drain on resources um, and government resources, the government will push back on that and say, you know, we're not having police having to attend these events. We're not having medical services having to be taken away right now to come and be at these grounds and that. And I just think we're really, those people are just trying to hopefully, fingers crossed, think they can get this done. And I think we will reach the point where we just go, actually, do you know what? This ain't happening we're just going to have to call it a day and move on to next season. There'll be a lot of unhappy people, but at the end of the day, I guess, you know, the ultimate thing will be there's more to life than football in a way, you know, and, and as you say, with everything that's going on, this will take a backseat. And actually, I think some of the fans will get to points where they just go, yeah, listen, let's just end it. You know, actually, we haven't got the appetite now to continue because with deaths and stuff, it, puts football into you know you, you kind of look at football in a different a different way and say well what's important and what isn't and actually football comes pretty far down the list in the grand scheme of things and I just think we will get to the point where it'll be voided and it'll just be listen we reset and we go again next season it's unfortunate if you were due to come up yes it's unfortunate but that's just the way it is and you know it was just bad timing Final point for you, Drew. Obviously, there has been talk of games played behind closed doors, but a lot of fans have taken umbrage to this, and a lot of fans have said, if that happens, I'm never going into the ground again. You know, it's too distasteful. It's all about money, etc., etc. So this could be the truest test of the statement that football is nothing without its fans. Yeah, I just don't buy that. No? I, I mean, no. Fan, fans can say it all they want, but I don't believe that they're actually going to stop going to matches and and honestly i don't think it would really hurt the clubs all that much and, and what i mean by that is i mean how, how many people can't get tickets to matches maybe they're too expensive but also right they're always sold out anyways so the next person in line is just going to buy up the ticket so i i don't think it's really going to have that big of an impact and i mean take take a look at you know just down the road not from Newcastle, but, but from you guys as Spurs fans, at Arsenal with the Granite Shaka stuff. 
right? For two weeks, everyone was mad. Everyone was screaming about him. And then once Mikel Arteta came in and restored him to the 11, nobody has talked about all of the hoopla that went on in the fall, you know, when he, you know, flipped off the fans and told him to F off. So, you know, fans can complain and jump on their, their high horse all they want right now. But I don't actually believe that they'll stop going to matches. I don't actually think that they're going to give up on their club. And also, I think to myself, if you give up on your club during these extraordinary times when they're trying to do the best they can, you may not agree with what the decisions are to play behind closed doors or whatever. If you give up on your club when they're at the worst of times, to me, you were never really invested. And as, as harsh as this might sound, I don't know if I can consider you a true fan if you're going to give up on them and not care anymore because of one decision during the worst of times. Well, I guess it sort of harked back to what we said earlier about, you know, if you're a Newcastle fan and you're washed with 200 billion and some nasty things happen in Saudi Arabia, but you've hit the top four, you're not really going to really care, are you? So football fans as a whole, Cole, are incredibly fickle, aren't they? Oh, yeah. (laughs) When when things are going well, you don't really care what's happening. No. And you only only really care when the the proverbial was at the fan as such. So, yeah, yeah, like we say, listen, we'll we'll still be there, won't we? You know, everyone loves loves their club. And, um, you know, I'd like to think, as Drew said, yeah, people will realise the sort of times we're in at the moment uh, and once things once things settle down and we're up running as normal everyone will be back um as you say if you're a Newcastle fan and you're suddenly bringing in great players and that you won't care what's gone on um you'll just be there ready to go and see these players play for your club and start winning games so as you say we are as fickle as they come we hate we hate a certain player one minute and then the next week he signs we're there welcoming into the club and defending him at all costs so you know we are we are fickle beast that's for sure yeah oh yeah me included yeah well exactly i think we're all guilty of that right that's pretty much it for the week so let's do the admin um before we wrap things up drew thank you as always back in the saddle we've hit the groove again so thanks for your time yeah well thank you guys for having me on appreciate it love talking with you guys and and i'm i'm really excited for this show right because we're actually talking about something significant something football related with the newcastle takeover so loved it happy to talk to you guys Cheers, buddy. And Cole, as always, thank you very much for your time. I hope to do it again next week. Yeah, definitely, Dan. Really enjoyed this. It's good to get some football chat and, uh, you know, just get get some light-hearted fun in the week. Yeah, we did have a laugh. Beheadings aside, but you know what I mean? Like, let's just leave it there. (laughs) (laughs) We we don't really want to see floggings or beheadings, you know. If anyone's (laughs) taking that to heart, don't we? We're only joking. I I, I don't want any human rights teams on my case. So we can just sort of leave it there. Clarify that. Right. That is everything wrapped up. It goes without saying, please be safe. As I said last week, do whatever your government tells you in terms of lockdown. It won't be forever. We just have to make a sacrifice and hopefully we'll have plenty of football to watch on the other side. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until next time, goodbye. Podcast Network.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.